When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. It was spotted on camera and then it was just mad. The whole thing just went crazy. Um, it was the equivalent, you know, it, it just blew up the papers, got hold of, you know, it was on TV, it was on the news, it was on the news. And... The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Now listen to the Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our Insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Right, welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Coaches Network. I'm Coach Yas, and today I'm joined by my co-host, as usual, Ben. Um, how are you doing, Ben? All good. Ready for another Brilliant. Brilliant. And we've got a very special guest with us today. Paul Davis. Paul Davis is ex-Arsenal legend, or still an Arsenal legend, um, currently working at the FA as a coach educator in the National Coach Developer role. How are you, Paul? Very well, thanks. Uh, yourself? All good, thank you. Um, Paul, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to get straight into it. I want to take you right back to the start of your journey, um, firstly as a, as a coach, and then we'll talk about your playing career as well. Just want to tell us a bit about where your coaching journey started. Okay, so thanks, thanks, for work, thanks, for, thanks for having me on, first of all. I'm, I'm really um, looking forward to this conversation. So my, my journey started um, after I finished playing um, in the sort of mid-90s, 94. Um, finished playing and then was invited back into Arsenal to do some coaching with their junior team, under 12s, under 11s, on a part-time basis. Uh, so I did that. I got back in and um, got back into the club and, and really kind of enjoyed that for a short spell. But I suppose, you know, I was actually coaching while I was finishing playing or while I was playing because I remember um, sort of looking after the younger players coming into the squad while I was playing. And without really realising it, I was that was coaching. I was coaching them through their games, through their training sessions and, and, and kind of coaching them through life really. So I think my coaching journey really started way before it actually did. And even before that, I was doing, I did my coaching badge when I was 17. So 
I think I always had that kind of thing inside me instinctively to, to support people, support players, younger players. And, um, but yeah, officially, I suppose, you know, is when I, I stopped playing and uh, Arsenal invited me back and I started taking the, yeah, like I say, under, under 11s, under 12s um, uh, on a part-time basis. I think it was probably on a, on a Thursday evening and a Tuesday evening at Ivory and um, then taking the team on a Sunday and that's where it started. <coughs> me. No problem. Just, so just on there, you know, you're talking about that journey of starting there and back, you know, back in the playing days, obviously being invited back in Arsenal. I had an illustrious career at Arsenal, a long time there, um, working under managers such, such as George Graham. Um, what was that? What was that like for you? So the playing side was uh, was a mixture of you know. So because I support Arsenal as a kid, it was, uh, you know, I don't know why you did that. What's happened? I said, I don't know why. You, I don't know why you did that. What joined Arsenal? <laughs> oh, supported them. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take that as a joke, right? <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I kind of supported him from when I was uh, 10 years of age when Charlie George scored the um, uh, winning goal to beat Liverpool in 71. And, yeah, that was it. That was the moment. Although, you know, I lived in South London. I grew up in Stockwell. My, my, my closest team would have been Crystal Palace and, uh, and uh, Chelsea, actually. Um, so those would have been my local team or even Fulham. But yeah, that moment when Charlie George scored that goal was kind of for me clinched in it. But um, I joined Arsenal when at 13, 13 years of age, and and it was an opportunity for me to 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 fulfil a dream. You know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a football player, and um, to get the opportunity to to do that with a team that I supported was uh, a fantastic chance for me and something. I wasn't going to let go very lightly, so I put everything into it. I worked as hard as I could at that age, at 13, 14, to to, to get picked and get um, get the opportunity to to move up within the junior ranks, and and that's what I did. So, yeah, it was it was um, it was a, a tough tough time because you know it isn't like now where. You, now players have their parents where they can take them everywhere and um, uh, the support of family. We, we didn't have that. I came from a family where it was a uh, uh, mum was around and she was looking after me and my sister. So she had work and she had to deal with stuff that uh, we didn't know about at the time to kind of get us through the week and get us through the day. Um, so yeah, looking back, it was tough to to break through, but <clears throat> I managed to do it. It's just hard work, determination, real, and some luck along the way. Um, you know, Arsenal decided to to sign me as an apprentice at sixteen, and um, and then I signed professional at seventeen, professional forms at seventeen, and I was in the team as a regular by sort of I'd say. 19 I was sort of regularly in the team so 
yeah, it was quite a, um, a journey at that point. And um, you know, once you once you start moving along and things start developing for you, you, you kind of you're not going to let it go. Well, I wasn't going to let it go, and I was going to work hard to make sure that you know I, I, I achieve my dream and, and not only play for Arsenal but play for Arsenal for a long, long time, which I did in the end. So. Um, from a playing point of view, I I felt I look back on it now and I feel that I I achieved a lot of what I wanted to achieve. Um, and uh, there's some things I didn't get to, but yeah. you know, overall I I'm, I'm happy. There's some ups and downs along the way that um, that inevitably will happen, um, and you might have some regrets about, but ultimately. You know, I look back and I think, well, you know, what I achieved was, I feel, I feel really proud about uh, the stuff that I could have done, achieved more, but, you know, that's, that's part of life and that's what makes me what I am today and I'm quite happy with that. So, yeah, there's some really up and down moments in there. But, Definitely, you know, like, you know there's quite a few, moment. quite a few moments that you've been talking about up and downs, but, you know, quite a few ups at Arsenal, um, you know, winning a few trophies there. You know, I think you've got, you had a couple... League titles, a uh, couple and a few domestic trophies as well. Um, you spent quite a long time, 15 years at Arsenal, um, as a player, uh, roughly. Um, yeah, yeah I'm just, uh, just going to try and correct you there because I think it's about 18 years. If you're talking okay. about, you're talking about from um, apprenticeship. Uh, from first year, from first year uh, as a pro. Sorry, um, yeah, but as if you go back to apprenticeship, then probably yeah, maybe. Going back to cost eighteen years, um, you had a bit of a you know you had a bit of involvement in the England youth teams. Never quite got the final call up to the first team. Yeah, so that would be that would be one of the sort of dis disappointments. Yeah. Looking back, if you know if I if I so I, I didn't play for the full England team, which is you know a regret. Um, I played for the under twenty ones. I think it was 12 times, 11 times. Yeah. Um, and back then, they didn't, have the, uh, they didn't have any other age groups. So they didn't have under 15s, under 16s, um, under 18s. It was, um, just the 21s, wasn't it? And the B team. Just the 21s. And uh, yeah, I think they might have had a 23s or B team at that time, maybe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it wasn't like now where you had all the different age groups. Um, so yeah, that was you know, look, looking back now, missing out playing for the England national team, the full England national team was was uh, disappointing. Although I made it into the squads um, a few times, but didn't actually get onto the pitch and um, and play because that that's where you get the cap. If you go onto the pitch and play, you don't get a cap if you just just part of the squad. So right, big disappointment. But, now, um, I want to take you back to a particular point in your career at Arsenal. Um, there's a bit of controversy around it, obviously, um, and it may have had something to do with you know that that whole that the whole being called up and actually getting a game for the England team. Take you back to Highbury in 1988. Uh, played Southampton. Let's talk us through what happened there, <laughs> Okay, so we go to the bad bits first, and then the good bits later on. That's all right. Okay. That's good. Okay, so that game was uh, infamous because I um, retaliated to some uh, some uh, 
sort of aggressive play from my opposite, opposite number. And um, it made headline news my retaliation uh, on a guy called um, Glenn Coco, um, who I retaliated on, hit him on the field of play. And uh, the referee didn't actually see that. And that kind of, in the end, probably didn't work in my favour because they'd seen it, they'd sent me off, and that would have been the end of it, more or less. But it wasn't seen by referee. And then afterwards, it was spotted on camera. And then it was just mad. The whole thing just went crazy. Um, it was the equivalent, you know, it just blew up the papers, gold, you know, it was on TV, it was on the news, it was on the news. And so, yeah, I retaliated to, uh, an ins to, um, to, to things that were happening to me on the pitch. Mm. And um, it, it, it blew up. I got a nine-match ban, uh, £3,000 fine, which nowadays doesn't sound a lot, £3,000, but back then was a lot of money. So it was a big... Sort of a part of my career that um, I would have done differently now, but it is what it is. You know, I think these things happen. You, you, people do things to try and wind you up or to try and stop you from playing your game, and you have to find a way of handling those situations. Definitely, I think you know. Certainly, something that I've you know, I would say in my years of knowing you now. You seem very calm, mannered, just generally quite, you know. Just don't mess with me, that's all. But I think it must have taken, you know, it must have been something very specific or particular on that day that, because I'm sure it wasn't the first time you had someone trying to wind you up when you're playing a game. Um, I don't know, I just want to talk, you yeah. know, without going into too much detail, just talk a little bit about how important it is as a player and as, you know, in those moments to be able to really manage your emotions and control your emotions and if there's any particular strategies that maybe you came up with uh, along the way that helped you with doing that going forward yeah i think i think we all we're all in our lives come come across situations where we lose our temper and we, we or there's the possibility of losing your temper and doing something that you will regret somewhere down the line but at the time you don't realize it because whatever has happened to you is, is so um, something that's really upsetting so from from my point of view yeah I'm, I'm, I'm I consider myself as a pretty calm guy I don't get flustered too much I don't think I don't let people um, do that to me um, and that's by and large how I, I go through my life but um, on this occasion, it was a, a situation where it was a constant barrage of um, abuse, really, so from my opposite number, you know, um, off the ball stuff, uh, stamping on, elbowing, reckless tackles, you know, continually through the game. So, you know, I took it on myself to retaliate um, and yeah so you know that's that's kind of what it was and that's what that's what happened it was a, um, just a relentless uh, as far as I saw it at the time um, reckless behavior by my opponent towards me and um, 
I wasn't going to have too much more of it or none of it. So he, he found out about that. But, you know, how to deal with those situations. I've been in situations before and since. And, and, and we'll do in the future where people will try to, you know, derail you on what you're trying to do, what, you, what you're about. Uh, and they may try and um, disrespect you in whichever way you look at it. So, yeah, it was, it was a situation where, you know, something that um, I wish I'd have dealt with in a different way, but at the same time, I could always look after myself. I think players knew that anyway. I don't think I had too many players that tried to do what uh, Glenn tried to do that. That, that afternoon. And just on that, I think, I think, I think the, thing, the main thing is um, it was the first time that something like that had happened and been sort of highlighted on camera. Things like that happen all the time in, yeah. in football. And, and I suppose nowadays it's more difficult because there's so many cameras now. But back in the day, things like retaliation was going on all the time. So, um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like it's was a one-off by any people yeah. doing. It. it was just that this was caught by a camera. Definitely didn't catch it, and it was actually the first trial by TV because it's caught by the news cameras. It wasn't even um, the football cameras. It was like yeah. the news. It was on. I remember it was on the ten o'clock news. The whole thing is like it was mad. It's like and so just know, on that, you talk there about. <clears throat> there'd be in different situations that you've obviously had to deal with now. It wasn't the first and it'll probably, you know, and hopefully it will be, but it might not be the last. Probably I was wondering, how many, how many of those may, do you think may have come back to the fact that you were a black football player? Yeah, I think, I think your colour is clearly something that people feel sometimes that they can use against you. Um, and football's no different to outside of life, uh, you know, in normal life. So, you know, I think if people feel they can get an advantage over you by feeling as though they can use your colour against you, that's their feeling as though they can use your, your colour against you, then some people will try that and um, to get to to get to where they want to get to. So yeah, you'll get you'll get that you'll get players and fans trying to trying to disrupt you for their own games by using you know your colour um, as if that's a bad thing. But um, yeah, so your colour is quite clear, you're quite you know, it's quite clear that you know I'm different from most of the players that were playing at that time. And to try and harbour on that to get um, get you to react or get you to to lose confidence is the main, that's the main aim of, of that type of behavior. And I think, so, you know, my goal then is to not let that happen, uh, is not to let that situation get to that point where it puts, either puts me off my game or makes me feel devalued or, or make me feel less than what I am. Or what I should be. So once you can get once you get that into your mind, and you can sort of um, remind yourself constantly, remind yourself of those reasons and those kind of um, 
yeah, those reasons why why it's happening, then you can start finding a way of dealing with it. Um, yeah, I think that's um, a constant thing. I think that's a constant thing that we uh, you go through as minorities in the game of like how to kind of manoeuvre around those sort of um, biases that you um, that you see and the way that people try to kind of use your colour of your skin as a disadvantage uh, in some sense there. Um, one thing that... That's the thing, that's the thing, sorry Ben, that's the thing about this, all this stuff is that <clears throat> it's, um, it can, if you're not careful as a young black person or black guys, if, if we're talking about football, it's, it can seep into your psyche and make you feel less. Yeah. Uh, unless, unless, unless we've got, you know, strong male figures, family round, round us as 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 we're growing up to say, look, God, you're 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 just as valuable. Yeah. Um, then we can have a problem if we don't have that, because it's natural. If you're young, if you're nine, ten years of age, and you know the majority around you are different color, and they're making, they're made to feel less then it's suddenly naturally you're going to grow up feeling less it's just this this kind of normal so yeah it's a, it's a major thing that we have to be mindful of and um you know sadly that's that's what happens and um you can see you can see the lack of confidence sometimes in young black men that should never be there because they they've got ability just like anybody else it's just that they don't believe it in the end because it's been, it's almost, um, they've been made to feel uncomfortable, out of place. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's uh, it is an ongoing thing every day, every week that, that we have to be mindful of. No, I agree. I agree. I feel like um, there's an ongoing battle and obviously, like, like you said, um, the, a lot of um, you know young uh, black guys and coaches um, may not have those sort of people around them that may always be telling them that every day, sort of thing. But I guess it's that whole um, sort of mindset of that like you have to have a point to prove, sort of thing, and uh, just know the stuff that you're good at, and hopefully you you'll potentially get the stage eventually to you know prove improve you know your your skill set, and just in regards to that. Uh, when I was, I've done a bit of research um, when I was in my masters in terms of like racism in football, and yeah. even within the playing side, um, what you tend to see is that positional wise, um, a lot of the black players will be put on the wing and like strike where they seem like they see have physical attributes. Now you kind of broke that barrier a bit, and you were playing in a very successful Arsenal side under George Graham in centre mid. Like, how was the perception of you in, in that time there, like, playing in sentiment? Or how do you think you were perceived? Yeah. Yeah, I don't... See, at a time when it's all happening, you're just in the moment, you know? Yeah. You don't... You can't... And I didn't think about too much else because I don't think you can. To, to get there and to stay there, you just got to be... Just focus your mind on what you're doing, how you're doing it, and, and navigate those what's going on around you so I didn't really think about anything like that I just did what I had to do to stay there um so 
you know, it's only now, you know, or like since I stopped playing that people will say, well, you, you know, you wanted first to be playing in a, in a team and you were the integral part of that team in the middle of the midfield. And then, uh, and then you start thinking about it. But yeah, yeah, there was a time where the players, black players were, you know, seen as just fast or, you know, just strong and just put out in certain areas where you could get the best of them. And, and that's how it seemed to be. Um, at that time, I didn't, you know, I don't remember, I don't think, I, I, I can't remember any, anybody talking about me at that point. Oh, you're, you're black, you're playing midfield, that's a bit strange. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. It's just, it, it was just how it was and it, it happened for me. But uh, yeah, there were there were you know there was a there was there seemed to be a stereotype back then around quick, fast, strong, and that's where most black players were described, I suppose. And you know, we couldn't play in goal. And there wasn't many. Um, we didn't like playing goal and that that kind. Of, we didn't like the cold. That was doing some stereotype stuff. Um, we talked about mentioned. Um, just trying to think of some others um, that around the time, but you know, for me, it was just I wanted to get somewhere. I just had to just just concentrate on what I wanted to do, and I think that's that's all that's all you can do and to get to get to where you want to get to. Obviously, if you can get people around you that can help you to do that, it makes it a lot lot easier. If you've got role models that you can look to, people that you can go to 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 help you through a difficult situation or even just to confirm some stuff i think that is really really helpful and we don't value that enough um i think uh, the role model thing is is massive massive and i think everybody says that um but um you know when i was coming through my role models were people like <coughs> obviously pele at that time was at his palm he was world's best player and um played for brazil i remember watching him in the 90s uh 1970 world cup in fact it was the first world cup i watched and Pele was just just took it took it all apart he was the main man but you know there was others like kai best uh, the guys that haven't learned about kai best you gotta look him up he was a guy that Play for West Ham, first black guy to play for West Ham, and he was playing in the in the league, and I, he was the only black player in the league. So if you can imagine now, one black player playing in the Premier League, that was Clive Best, and he was he was getting abused on his own, and uh, so he was he was somebody that really inspired me because I I used I was only about nine or ten at the time and I saw this guy Clive Best and he's playing for West Ham and there was no, no other black player in the, in the league. Um, so for a black young kid that was inspirational to see. Um, and then obviously as the years went on I got I got I started playing at Arsenal but there was a, a couple of players before me, Brendan Batson. Yeah. He was he was at Arsenal but then he left Arsenal. I think he went to West Brom. And then you had the three degrees. Uh, then the, um, um, Brendan Batson, Cyril Regis, 
and Laurie Cunningham, uh, West Brom, three black guys playing for West Brom. Now that was a massive thing at that time because again, that was early 70s, uh, mid 70s, late 70s. And uh, so this started to creep, more black players started to creep in, uh, myself included. And um, yeah, it slowly trickled in where there's more black players. And I remember Paul playing against Paul Cannibal at Chelsea. And he had a tough, he had a rough time. I mean, we all had rough times, but he had a rough time. <laughs> you know, he, it was tough for him at Chelsea. The fans were, I remember playing against Chelsea for Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. And I was getting abused, racial, racially abused by all the Chelsea fans. And I know back in those days, you had like 60,000, I suppose. All 65, it felt like 60,000 were giving me racial abuse. You know, every time I touched the ball, it was monkey noises. Every time I went over to pick the ball up to take a throw and throwing coins at you, you know, just, just venom in their faces. They just didn't, didn't want you there. Um, and yeah, yeah, you had to overcome quite a bit to play your game and ignore all that. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll get abused at Chelsea, but then I remember one game playing and Paul was sub. Paul was a substitute. And as he was warming up, they were abusing him. And there was his own fans. And I felt really bad for him. So really bad for the situation because I felt, you know, I remember coming off the end of that game thinking, I don't know how he's going to survive at this, this club. And he didn't. He went for a tough time. So, yeah, it was tough for us guys, you know, the first guys to start playing um, back in those days. It was, it was really tough. You travel to the grounds and you get 60,000 just abusing your free colour. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you look back and you think, how did you get through it? Um, but you do. You, you didn't have a voice. You couldn't, you know, if you went to the club and said, you know, what are you going to do about it? Just like, just get on with it. You know, just get on with that stuff. So that's how we grew up. It's, 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 you have to have that mentality to, to take that and go out, get on with it. You know, people like Cyril Regis was, he was a forerunner. You know, Cyril's a little bit older than me. Brendan's, Brendan Batson's a little bit older. So those guys were forerunners and they took a lot of, a lot of pressure. I mean, I, my my age group took a lot of pressure, and then as you know, you got John Barnes. It started to tail off a little bit, but it was still getting pressure until we get to the point now where these guys are now now playing, and there's you know they're not getting that type of stuff um, from them. There's still stuff going on, and it's still there, but it's um, it's not as bad for them in that sense. We'll just kind of touch on this, you know, you talk a lot about your playing career and some of the challenges you face in your playing career there. I just want to bring you back to the coaching side of things now. In terms of the coaching aspect of things, you've now gone into coaching, um, been brought back in at Arsenal, started off with the, with the younger age groups and youth set up. Where did it go from there? Yeah, so I was doing that sort of um, younger age group for about uh, seven years. And uh, I think there was a, it was well from the outset I, I was always ambitious with what I wanted to do within coaching as I was as a player. So my intention was always to to work with the senior group 
and um, always made my intentions clear to to the to the club. And uh, so this was a starting point working with the young kids in my mind a starting point to then uh work with the senior um senior team alas that didn't happen um i left the club in uh, 2003 um really disappointed with uh the previous um, seven eight years went as a coach um and decided to take a new route in terms of coach education so various things happened at arsenal that i think um was unfortunate let's put it like that mm. yeah, so yeah, I was there for seven years working with young kids. It was just great experience. Enjoyed every minute. The kids enjoyed it. Uh, developed some young players. Ashley Cole was one of them. David Bentley was another. Fabrice Boamba was another when they were like, you know, these guys were 12, 13 years of age. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was able to to work with some uh, some really good youngsters and help them develop, support them develop their career. Excellent. But no, there was no progression for me. So I left. Touch on there about you know the time at Arsenal, in particular within the youth uh, setup as a coach, didn't really go the way you wanted it to. Um, and talk about you know some of the some of the great talents that I guess came under came under you came under you in that time. What would you say maybe some of the major things that didn't really work out? Because you was at a time, you was there at a time where it was a quite a successful period for the club, um, even during their invincible year in the Premier League. Um, so you know things must have been really exciting around that time. But obviously, you know you were going through your own your own challenges within the club at the time. Yeah, that's right. So it was a time where um, Arsene Wenger was obviously the manager, and uh, he'd been there since. 97 so i um i left in 2003 um so yeah it was it was a great time to be at the club because wenger was there and he was at you know the early period of his tenure which was the most exciting time it's almost like if you look at guardiola when he first came in a couple of years ago the excitement and the and the, um, and the uh, curiosity that everybody had for him was that was the type of situation it was for Wenger back then. So, and I was able to uh, watch Wenger work firsthand. I was able. I went to speak with Arsene Wenger and asked him if I could come in and watch him watch him work, and uh, he allowed me to do that. And I I was able to pick up so much stuff from what he was doing. What I would do was I'd go and watch, because like I say, I was working with the kids in the evening, on a Thursday and a Friday, and then we had games on a Sunday. So obviously during the week, I had, had a lot of time um, to go in and watch training if I was allowed to. So I asked, uh, asked some 
Venga, if I could come in and just watch and just take down notes. And he was quite, he was, he was okay with it. He was good. He was allowed me to come in and watch that team train and allowed me to video stuff. I've got loads of videos of him and his training. Um, so yeah, I, I felt really, I learned a lot watching him working. So I used to take stuff from what he was doing, adapt it, obviously, and then put it into the work I was doing with the 12s and 13. And obviously I just did that off my own back. It was, there was nobody else within the club said, look, we want to get a coordinated structure here where we link things up. There was, it wasn't that sort of structure going on, but it was something I thought, well, you know, I've got this opportunity to see this guy work, like this guy that everybody wants to see. I've got this chance to let it happen. It's just a no-brainer. So he was happy with it. I used to go down there every day and watch him train. Not every day, but, you know, every, whenever I felt it was appropriate. I didn't want to kind of, you know, take, take liberties with those kind of situations. But he was great. And even to this day, I've got, I've got the videos of him working with Burkamps and Henri and Vieira and all those guys that started coming in and the stuff that he was doing. And I literally just tweaked what I felt would work with our 12s and our 13s and worked in the same manner, similar manner. Because the interesting thing about it was he was a similar kind of personality to me in terms of pretty quiet, didn't shout at his players, wasn't bawling or anything. And I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of how I am. It's like, you know, and I, I've come from this background of coaches who've been bawling at you all, all these times and yelling and telling you how to play the game. And I'm thinking, never ever felt that was right then. But that's the way you grow up and people feel that that's the best way. And then you've got this guy who's come in and he's doing it a completely different way. Not balling, not screaming, giving players guidance and showing them, you know, talking to them and treating them as human beings and, and getting this kind of result from them. I'm thinking, wow, it can, what I thought could work this way, can work this way. And... Um, so it kind of gave me confidence from that point of view in terms of personality. My personality, the way I am, could work because Arsene Wenger was a similar personality. So, yeah, it was, it was a good time to be there from that point of view. Um, but as I said, you know, my ambitions were always to, 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 to learn how to coach properly, to use my experience as a player to help the younger players. Um, and also develop myself to ultimately work within the fir that first team environment. Yeah, you've got to remember that I played for the team for eight, 17 years, so I kind of knew the club. It was almost like a natural progression, you know. I've been there for like 18 years. You think, like, it's just it's common sense. This is how it's going to happen. But it didn't happen. And yeah, so was, that was a massive disappointment. Um, I decided when it when it didn't happen and i was still in the same role for the last that last seven years i just thought you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna leave this situation and find another situation but it was tough it was, it was really tough do you think if you stayed there a bit longer that things could have changed potentially how much longer Oh, and I was just saying, do you think if you if you stayed at Arsenal a bit longer, maybe things might have changed? Um, potentially, maybe been brought in as a, a you know as a, into the first team setup in some capacity. 
who knows who knows um but i did think seven years was a long time well it is a long time in football um for for no movement so, yeah but who knows who knows what's gonna happen in the future no one knows so you can only kind of gauge from what's happening at the time and what's gone before. Um, you know, I have to say it's <clears throat> what's happening now with uh, what Ryan Sterling's doing and, and Rashford and those guys uh, are bringing, bringing the spotlight more and more on these sort of situations. I was really sort of uh, impressed. I've been re really impressed with those guys because they got a platform now. They got a big, big platform, and and, and they're using it in in the right way. Um, so Ryan Sterling came out recently and said, you know, there's nobody reflecting him in the game in terms of coaching, mm. and he's got a platform, and he's 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 saying that, and it's getting people to think about it, and it's getting people to talk about it. There's something that um, I have to say, most black players have been talking about for a long, long time now. Um, but you've got to have a platform for others to, to, to hear it. Um, so players of my generation, players of past generations have been saying it, what Williams just said recently for, for the last couple of decades at least. So um, yeah, these guys now, it's in a, they're in a different place. Um, they got a lot more say, and um, you know, let's hope there can be some changes quicker, right throughout football. So I'm talking, I'm talking at the senior end. I'm sure. Well, I know that at the grassroots end, all the way through football, there's there's a lot of work still to do. Um, what do you think can be done to like bring those changes? Because a lot of people have obviously commented, commented on the fact that um, they started looking even higher now and looking at like the way the boardrooms are made up of like the demographic of the boardrooms. And um, uh, they looked at all the major sports, and I think the FA in the FA they have one like rugby has none, hockey has none, cricket has none. That that sort of aspect there. So like, do you think it? It takes like more footballers, sort of like high profile, like Raheem, to come out to talk about these sort of aspects. So, like, how do you think that like, we can attack this? Well, yeah, I think I think um, I know everyone says it, but it's just education and awareness. Uh, that's they're the two kind of words that I and acceptance. Mm. So they they will be sort of kind of three things I would I would say. So education, you know, I think is fairly important because if people don't if you don't know the history, if you don't understand what history is about, both in football and sort of world history, British history, then you don't know you don't get the context of stuff, you don't understand what's going on. Yeah. So history and uh, education is crucial. And then I think once once that gets in place, then it's 
acceptance. So once you get your history and your education, then you, you can only accept what's happened there. Mm. But you, if, if you don't know what's happened, you can't accept it. So acceptance of the situation and then a willingness to put things right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, for me, it's, it's, and the awareness thing is, is, um, is I suppose education, isn't it? The awareness it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and I think, it, I think it's like, um, so, uh, some people don't, still don't get it, even now, which is really, that's an interesting thing for me and um so yeah there's still there's still a lot a lot to be done and how, how, how it's going to be done and i think you know those those are those for me are the three big areas no definitely um i'll probably agree with you it's like it can't just there's no like one size fits all answer to it there's a multiple sort of uh, methods that need to happen to it um I just want to harken back a bit on to the coaching. Um, in regards to uh, you know the sort of observations you made of like Oz and Wenger sessions, um, I feel like that was quite interesting at that time um, for like a, a coach of that profile to be at such a high level like that and be successful at a high level like that. But like, what sort of um, key ingredients did you see that he kind of um, done to make the environment that he done for those like? elite mindsets like that relentlessness that sort of resilience without necessarily appearing to be that sort of person himself yeah he's um his, his technique and his style was um different to what coaches were doing like i said he he was a guy he was a guy that wanted to treat his players just as a normal human being one-to-one didn't seem as though he was, you know, I'm the boss. This is what this is what you're going to do, regardless of what he was. He was he was allowing the players to be themselves, it seemed, and giving them some autonomy to to try things, um, and and respected them as players and individuals. I think I think that was that was the key thing that really shone out to me and um, allowing them to have a, some freedom in, in their game and what they were trying to do. Obviously, he wanted structure and he, he built in structure there, but it, there was a lot of, you know, you're a good player and I, I, I trust you to do the right things in these situations. It's kind of that kind of um, philosophy. And then the practices that he put on a game <clears throat> was similar to that. There wasn't, I didn't see practices that were sort of mind spangling difficulties or uh, practices where it was something that I'd never seen before. They were pretty, pretty standard stuff from, from what I understood it to be. And, but the quality was there in terms of the players being able to, to apply what the practice was. So it have uh, it have small small sort of um, keep ball practice where there be 
it's like keep balls, so maybe five trying to keep away from from two, that sort of thing, maybe. But the area size would be really, really tight. Mm. So really tight. So these guys, their passing would have to be spot on. Otherwise, it's it's a changeover. Um, or little things like you know, if the two defenders just got a little touch on the ball, that's a win. That's classes a win. So little things like that, he, he added in to just turn up turn up the um, temperature on the players. And but he wasn't shouting. It was just the way he tweaked the sessions, mm. just to, just to up the quality. So it was little stuff like that more than anything sort of revolutionary. I suppose the, re- the revolutionary stuff came from the food diets that he had him um, had him on. So yeah, it, it was it was a breath of fresh air. It was great great for me to to watch him. I watched him work for probably about four four seasons, I think. Um, I remember one time I was there watching, and they were training up at Colney, and I was. Remember, I was the only one watch, allowed to watch while the other, the, all the, everybody else was there. That there were players, and it was Van Gogh, and then it was his assistant, and then it was me. So I was like, "Wow!" And this is like when everybody wanted to try and wanted to get in to watch Van Gogh. It's like it's like us now trying to get in to watch uh, Pep Guardiola work. It ain't gonna happen, you know. So I felt really, really privileged. And actually, I was one. I was just gonna say I was there watching watching training one 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 morning. I had my camera and I was taking, taking shots and everything. And for some reason, they had a lack of number. They needed one more player. <laughs> I don't know why, how that came about. And I was on the line. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. He called me, me over. Svenka <laughs> called me over. He said, look, Paul, he knew me by name. He said, Paul, could you just come in and just stand in that situation there? Just stand. Because I, I had my track gear on anyway. I had my I had boots on. Uh, football boots so you know I was kind of we were waiting it. for the shot weren't you Paul uh? I was waiting for that one he was waiting queuing up waiting for the right, right opportunity to come along yeah it took me four years to get fixed like that but I, I got there <laughs> you still yeah, kept I was there I was there on the training pitch with all these guys like I. this is like 10 years after I finished playing so I wasn't in the best of shape like you know to run around but to actually be in a session with those guys and it was like, you know, Young Rees and Burkamp. And I remember because I was like, for some reason, he's, he wanted me to sort of be next to Burkamp. I don't know what, it was like a, a small session. No, it was like a phase he was doing. Mm. Yeah, he just wanted like a sort of a sort of mannequin type of situation where I was just standing there almost. And then, so I went to stand next to Dennis Burkamp. And he was like, he was like, he, he wasn't too sure about the old situation because I don't think he really knew who I was. And he was just thinking, What's this guy doing standing next to me in training? It's a bit, bit of a weird, weird situation. But it was it was a funny, a funny situation that. But it was great. The the overall experience, learning from him, watching him work, things I picked up was really, really good. Definitely, Paul. And I'm just mindful of your time. We've just got a yeah. lot, a couple of questions to go, and we'll try and wrap up as quick as we can. Um, just want to kind of take you back to obviously your your journey as a coach. You know. In, if you can, was it, would you say there was any key mentors for you in that journey? Where anyone that you kind of looked up to and thought, yeah, that was they would really help me through my journey. If if so, what was one key lesson that you kind of took away from them? Oh well, mentors. Yeah, I think I think any any. Um, yeah, there was just 
there's people that helped me along the way. There's some coaches I had at Arsenal when I was young. There's a guy called Alf, Alfie Fields, passed away now. He he was really supportive as a young player. And I think he, he obviously helped me develop as a person. You got to remember that those kind of times. It was my personality isn't really screaming, shouting. I'm not I'm not that way. But that was what it was back then. You had to be a screamer or a shouter to, to get anywhere. It was all at odds with me. It wasn't didn't make sense. Um, so anybody that kind of went with me on that and understood that you know this is how he is. Let's let's work with that. I, I kind of respected and I felt, yeah. So Alf Fields was was somebody that I felt looking back kind of tried to do that. Um, but as for sort of um, after that period, uh, I suppose black players that were doing well, like I say, um, Cyril Regis, Laurie um, Cunningham, um, Brendan Batson. Um, Ricky was probably around about my same age, so we kind of came through. Um, but yeah, it was it was those kind of players because they were doing it, and, and you could see them doing it. And it kind of inspires you to to do it as a as a footballer. But as for coaching, talking about coaching. I mean, yeah, I think just you know, just yeah. if, if there was anyone in your in your journey that's maybe giving you one key lesson that would make would you know that you think yeah that you know that was a really good one I, you know that helped me a lot. Oh, this yeah, it's it's hard to kind of just pick out one one thing from all those years. Really, it's a tough. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to say just one thing, but if 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 you're going to say give one piece of advice. Uh, well, I would say you just got to be relentless in what you do, mm. you know, and, uh, and belief in what you're doing. I think those two things, you know, it, it, you can't get away from it. It has to be relentless. You have to, you have to keep going. You have to believe, believe, believe. And if you can get that from other people, if other people can give you that, then great, that's fantastic. But if not, you're gonna have to. Develop it, find it yourself, mm. and, and nurture it. And, and um, so, yeah, I think I think those two things for me are crucial. Um, but it's easy to say. It's easy to say. Just, that. It's hard to do. Just to build on that, then you know, if you had to now, if you had now had an opportunity to go back in your journey and maybe talk to yourself at the start of your coaching journey, what would be one message you want to give yourself then? I think. Um, I think, yeah, I think uh, to have that real belief in what you, what you can do, I think to really have that sort of a non-negotiable, when people are talking to you, they know that you actually really know what you want, what, yeah, what you want, and you're not going to stop. Yeah, I think, I think that is a key thing to, to always look to, to develop. So you might think that you've got it at the time. You might think that you're, that you've, and I might, might, might have thought I had it at the time, but you can all, there's, I don't think you can get enough of that. I don't think you can believe in yourself enough. So 
even though you might think, and I might fall down, I had a lot of belief in that, didn't realise that I could have could go that even further. It's, it's almost endless. Um, and I suppose, you know, the other side to that is um, having some humility about what you do, because I think the two kind of can go hand in hand. If you have, if you have too much belief, and you, it can carry over into that arrogant side, which nobody not too many people like some people like it but it can get into another area where you don't well I, well personally i wouldn't really want to be so it's you know it's kind of finding those balances and, and points but yeah it's i don't really regret too much because it brings it brings me to where i am now it's just it's all part of the process um I'm happy where I am now. I've had some great experiences, some not so good experiences, but it's helped me to get to where I am, and I'm happy where I am. And um, yeah, just on that, we've heard quite a lot on um, the things that you do like uh, within coaching, but I just wanted to gauge like a bit of an idea of what is your biggest like sort of bugbears in coaching. Like, is there sort of, what sort of things do you not like in the coaching practice that you've seen? Okay, so so the game is changing. Some some of the language that it's changing from and going over to um, is a bit kind of um, confusing at times. Not confusing, but uh, it's like sometimes it's change for change's sake. Um, I feel, and sometimes it it doesn't need to be changed. I think, um, yeah, it's kind of the game. The game changes, but ultimately, for me, it's still a, a simple game. And I think sometimes people make it complicated unnecessarily. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, that frustrates me sometimes because I've I've actually played the I've played the game at a very high level. And I don't believe it is as complicated at times as people make it feel as a scene. So, yeah, that, that, that kind of is something that I constantly um, have to navigate. Mm. And you do, say, you do say that you do have to navigate it as like, you know, your current role being the national coach developer. Uh, for the FA and the, and then, <laughs> I can imagine you encounter that um, every day in your day to day. Yeah, exactly. My role, my role with um, I enjoy my role now. It's and I've you know I've kind of always enjoyed it. My roles because it's football, and I try and strip it back to the game of football. Um, always try and uh, make sure I try and enjoy what I do, and try and make sure that people I'm working with enjoy what they do. Um, try not to bog it down too much and with all the other stuff that goes on around it. Um, but yeah, working working now with senior players who are looking to do their pro license and their A license and watching people work different ways um, and supporting them in their work. Not necessarily telling people what to do because I think there's a lot of information out there. Yeah. 
people will decide how they want to want to run their team or make a player better. There's no one way. So who am I to tell people how to do it? I'm there to I see myself there to support how they do what they what they do. So that's how I look at it. You know, we've we've all got a, we've all got slightly different way of doing something. And I, I respect that. I don't wanna be a coach developer who says like, no, it has to be done this way. Well, why? Well, because I've said so. Well, so what? You know, doesn't I don't want to. Um, but having said that, I still do believe there has to be. There are some principles. I believe there are, and I think you, to be a good coach, you need to know what those principles are. There might be, we might have different wordings for those. But there are principles. I might call it, um, I don't know, closing down quickly. You might call it uh, ganger pressing. Or jump. Quickly jump pressing or whatever you call it. Same thing. Just a different language. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I, see, I see my role as supporting people to be the best person and coach they, they can be. It's their, it's their, it's their journey. So yeah, I, and I really enjoy what I do. There's a lot, there's a lot of variety to it. It's been difficult under lockdown in terms of linking people, linking up with people within a lot of one-to-ones like this, a lot of group work like this, and that's the way it's gone for the last two or three months. So um, even longer, isn't it? Three or four months now. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to be thankful for, for being grateful for, and I want. I, I want to be someone who, and I, I've always felt that I want to be someone that supports other people as well. So, um, you know, I've been lucky and I've worked hard to get to be in the position I am in terms of playing wise and also the work that I do now. But it's also trying to help others that haven't been as fortunate to get that, yeah. to get those positions, but want to strive to get better. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's that's where I see see myself. Yeah, so like you've already spoken there about um, supporting others and and other people. Uh, that that was in the form of, of players when you were a youth team coach at Arsenal there, and now is in the form of coaches. But what do you see next for Paul Davis in regards to that? Well, it's the same, same. Just support as many more and more people as they come. That's in what capacity? <laughs> what capacity? Yeah. The same as what I'm doing now. Okay. Yeah, same as what I'm doing now. Um, so yeah, I'm working, you know, in an area of the game where I can I can affect some support um, players and coaches. Not play well indirectly affecting the players because I'm working with the coaches, so yeah. the coaches will affect the players. Um, and also, um, hopefully, be able to affect what we've been speaking about largely on this call in terms of yeah. the, the numbers of black and Asian coaches in, the, in our game. It's, that's got to be something that has to improve. Um, so, yeah, working, working hard to, to, to push that along. Uh, I see that as one of my sort of major, major goals, really. 
Okay, and um, thank you for this. Uh, like it's been really good, and you've, there's definitely a lot of um, like anecdotes and stories that I feel like a lot of the listeners are going to take, especially me and Yes as well. But like, could you just leave us uh, with 60 seconds, a golden nugget that you want to leave with the listeners that um, they could take forward? And what would that be? Golden nugget. Golden nugget. Uh, like I said at the start, I don't know if there are any golden nuggets other than, than to work hard, um, believe in yourself, and um, persistence. So three bits of three bits of golden nugget there. So whichever whichever one of those or all three of those, if you want to work on those three areas, I'd say you won't go too far wrong obviously you, you you're you're in something that you enjoy you all enjoy football so you're doing it because you enjoy doing it so keep that enjoyment don't ever anyone take that away but those three things i would say um it's you have to be persistent you have to you have to really work hard and just keep going when you get the knocks and there's so many knocks to take in this game and in life you have to you have to believe in yourself. Sky, you know, if you just believe, and, and, and I say just believe, it's not as easy as that. You have to find a way of believing and surround yourself with people that are going to support support you the best way they can. Um, what was the third one I said? Work hard, be persistent, and believe in yourself. Ben's, Ben's listening. <laughs> there you go. Persistence, persistence. Persistence is the key. And I think certainly, yeah. you know, that's definitely a key message for everyone to kind of take away. Um, and I think you've shown that obviously, you know, some of the things that you've been through yourself, that having a persistence, even when you're talking about early challenges in your, in your Arsenal, Arsenal journey and seeing players like the likes of um, Laurie Cunningham, you know, uh, Cyril Regis and players like that, that Spurge went to really kind of go and almost emulate them in some capacities, uh, being a young black professional coming through as a footballer. But look, there you, there you have it, guys. You know, it's been another fantastic discussion again today. Some brilliant insights, plenty of golden nuggets, whether Paul wanted to give them or not. <laughs> well, no, 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 it's not, not that I don't want to give out any golden nuggets. I want to help, but I don't, I don't know if they are golden nuggets. <laughs> Advice, well there you have it guys it's another edition of the coaches network insight series where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential i've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have but i just want to say thanks again for tuning in the support is much appreciated please do get in touch with us and today's guests let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care.
The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. <laughs> 